when did you meet Jesus? I met Jesus at 19, so that would have been around 1998. Why did that dates me? Now people know how old I am. So why did you meet Jesus? I met Jesus because I was at the end of my rope, had a near overdose experience on crack cocaine, and came to my mom, poured out my heart, and let her know everything that I was doing. And this is back in the days of VHS cassette tapes. So our children don't know the horror of having to rewind and fast forward your favorite scene. And she said, I want to show you something. And this is what I mean when I say I felt like it wasn't even my choice. And I said, OK. And uh, she, behind the scenes, became a closet Charles Stanley fan and had given her life to the Lord and was watching Southern Baptist Man down in, in Atlanta, Georgia area. And, uh, and it was a cassette of one of his services, VCR cassette. And she had been recording them. And a man came out with a suit, it was worship time, and he took the stage and he began singing. He had a red beard and had a red crown of, and he was shining in here, I think it's the lights, but it was so much more than that. And he's singing about how the blood of Jesus covered him and I just broke down and began sobbing. Yep. And nobody asked if I wanted to receive the Lord in my heart. Nobody asked if you were to die today, where would you go? Nobody asked any of those questions. Literally, the reality that while I was a sinner, he died for me, came into the living room, and I just melted under the weight of his mercy and forgiveness. And it's changed everything. Just because a man sang a song. The sermon didn't even start. How's your mom doing now? Um, she's doing okay. She's, she's up and down. She, she, um, her faith is strong. She's ready to be with the Lord. I'll just tell you that. Yeah. Sorry to hear that. It's okay. I have more questions. Are, you can ask you anything okay? you want. Yeah, of course. Um, how did you meet your wife? <laughs> I dated her best friend first. <laughs> Don't judge me. You know you all have done it. Um, I dated her best friend first, uh, Holly Mack. And, uh, so, sorry, so, sorry I asked. That's uh, okay. No. I was convinced the Lord wanted me to be with this, this Holly girl. And um, long story short... She, she and I had broke up, and, and I got to know Nicole a little bit through that relationship. And it's funny, because we went to Nicole's mom's house one time, the three of us, because Holly and Nicole were really, really close. And I remember spending a lot of time talking with Nicole's parents. And leaving, her mom turns to her and says, I really hope you marry a guy like Brian one day, because I make those lasting impressions on people. And, um, and so uh, there was about this eight-month gap where my... My wife, my current wife and I, and, and even though we were on the same campus, didn't you, see each you other. You just said current wife. Well, she's my wife, yeah. The one and only. Just pointing that I haven't out. had any others. So that she's my wife of 16 years. May 29th, 16 years, which is awesome. It's, yeah. And so she, I wound up being late for a class, which is so against my personality. I don't like being late anywhere. I like being on time and, and being early. As a matter of fact, now I'm a senior at Millersville, and I should know where I'm going at this point. And this is a building I've been in many, many times, and I can't find my classroom, and I'm freaking out. And, and I have to stop and ask, humiliated, a teacher in the classroom, do you know where this class is? And the teacher said, honey, you're looking at the class subject number, not your classroom number. So I'm looking for room 312. doesn't exist. It only has two floors. So I wind up going in this class, taking the front seat, the only seat left, because this was one of those easy classes everybody wanted to take. And as I'm sitting in the front, I hear my name being whispered. I turn around. It's Nicole, my, my wife. And uh, she's like, hey. And she's all excited. We're in the same class. The, the, the instructor goes through roll call. And my wife, during roll call, realizes her name isn't said, looks down, she's in the wrong class, 
gets up and quick books it to her class. I get up, turn around, all excited to talk to my wife, because usually the first day they give you your syllabus, like, we'll see you next time, here's your homework. And I get up and she's gone. I'm like, that is the shadiest thing I've ever seen. I was excited <laughs> to talk to her. So I sent her an email, and we wound up, long story short, we wound up connecting back and forth, spending a lot of time together, and throughout the entire fall semester, of my senior year and then going into the spring semester, we wind up on Valentine's Day and, and we go out, not as a couple, but we go out, not even as a date, we go out as friends and her roommate and her mom and everybody, we're all together. And, but it's in my heart to take this thing to the next level. Do you know what I mean? Like, and you tell yourself that even if it fails, we can go back to just being friends. That's hogwash, it doesn't work like that, it's baloney. Tried that in high school, but I was still falling for it. So she's in, my wife is a, a muscle car gal because of the home she grew up in. So she had a five-speed 1999 Mustang. And, and it had to be rear-wheel drive because that's where all the torque is. And that's her. So her, her stepdad had a Camaro that ran 800-some horsepower on alcohol. So the first time I went over to his house, he put me in that as like a test. And it put me so far back like in the seat. But he wanted to see what I was made of as a man and if I like that kind of thing. And so we're sitting there, and I'm standing outside the car, and I'm going to ask, do you want to be more than just friends? Now, I'm leaving to go to seminary in, later that year. And I, I don't even remember what I said, but I asked her something, and she's sitting in the car with the window down, says, I have to think about it, puts it in reverse, and just takes off. <laughs> now, I'm an insecure guy, so my heart's like shot. And there was another girl on campus that was into me. And so I started hanging out with her because I needed to know I still had what it took as a man. And my wife, my wife was like, that's not okay with me, even though we weren't dating. And so we had this spaghetti dinner in my house because my best friend Adam, some of you guys know him, he's been down here to DTS, things like that, spoke here. He and I were leading this Bible study on campus and like, so my wife is there and this girl that I'm kind of dating for two weeks, she's there and my wife sees this and my wife in her mind is like, I'm not leaving till this girl leaves. I'm going to wait her out. So it was like this battle, and this girl finally winds up leaving. My wife winds up staying, and about a week or so later, my wife's like, let's do this thing. So 16 years later now, actually 18, because we dated for a couple years, got engaged. She moved down to Kentucky when I was in seminary. Tim was down there in seminary, and uh, so we've been married for 16 years, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. Four girls together, and it's been an amazing ride exclusively females in the house except you? All females except a uh, Rottweiler named Maximus, and he might as well be female. So, Explain what you just said about Maximus. He's just a punk. He's just a, uh, he just adds to the mix. That felt anti-woman. Oh, uh, well, that's, I didn't mean for it to come across that way. To, <laughs> I wasn't being insensitive. So, How did you discern a call to ministry? or yeah, Did you, did you was, discern a call? I Some did. people just say it's needed. I'm, I can do no, it. No, 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 I did. I was, I was originally studying to be an English teacher. That's where my passion was. I actually wanted to teach English on a Native American reservation. I wanted to be like Rich Mullins. He was such a hero to me oh, yeah, that I wanted, okay. to, I wanted to follow in his steps. In my junior year in college, I'm getting ready to sign up for my student teaching. That'd be your last full semester in, in school. You'd graduate, you come out, you go into the teaching world. And, uh, and so I go to sign up to student teach, and my advisor, and this is his job, my advisor says, you missed these two prerequisites, classes I never heard of before. And I said, well, where'd this come from? I said, this is, this is technically, you should have you seen this coming. Like, I don't know how we both missed this. And it was just enough of a wrench in the plans 
for me to go back to my apartment when nobody's home and hit my knees and say, Lord, I don't understand. This doesn't feel right because now I'm graduating after my, because it would delay my graduation. I'm not walking with my friends anymore. I'm having to stay longer than I wanted to. And, uh, and the Lord said, because it's not what I have for you. And I want you to go to seminary. And I was like, okay. And even while in seminary, I, I studied to get my master's degree in counseling. I never in a million years would thought that I'd be doing what I'm doing now, traveling around. That's usually how the Lord works with me. A lot of times is just a little bit at, at a time. He reveals things as, 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 uh, <clears throat> as it comes. And, uh, and I, I'm sitting here. I'm like, well, I'm getting ready to go and, and counsel people. I'm going to become a licensed counselor, licensed therapist. He's like, that's not what I have for you. I want you to do youth ministry. And so for, after I graduated seminary, I started doing four and a half years of, of, of youth ministry at the Lutheran Church, then baptized in the Spirit, and that changed everything. What did you learn from doing youth ministry at the Lutheran Church? I learned that teenagers, first and foremost, appreciate authentic people, and they don't want you to be fake. And, um, and so I was very vulnerable and honest about my shortcomings, my addiction to pornography uh, at the time. And I also learned that they don't want pizza and games. They actually want the Lord. And uh, so I did everything I could at the time, not fully understanding what I know now, to give that to them. Is it okay if we have some pizza and games? Because I kind of like pizza. I love pizza, as you can tell. But, I mean, it's, I do like pizza and games. But I, I know, I heard a woman say one time, it stuck with me, Karen Wheaton. Uh, she does the ramp down in, in Georgia. And she said, you can stick kids in the back room with a Radio Shack tape player. But if the presence of God is there, they would explode. And even though I didn't understand it at the time, it resonated with me. That I knew that if they could, because I had that encounter at 19, nobody could take that from me. But God set me free of drug addiction, cigarettes, and all these different things. And I wanted that so desperately for people. That's something the Lord has innately put in me. I just want everybody else to have what I've come to understand and experience. So I tried to the best of my ability. And what, what, what blessed them was just how real and honest I was that... Yes, I love the Lord, but also at the same time, here's where I am, but let's, let's journey together. You alluded briefly to it last night that it was your dissatisfaction with being stuck in sin mm-hmm. that led you into the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Um, how did that happen, and how did yeah. that impact you socially with your youth group? Yeah, well, it happened because... I didn't grow up in the church, so when I, got, when I got radically touched and saved at 19, I just consumed my Bible, and I would read my Bible, and even when I was in seminary, I think even the Lord kept me from this, and I could be wrong, I didn't take a Master's of Divinity class, so I was never necessarily coached in one way of theology. I would just read my Bible and say, this happens today, even though it hasn't been my experience. And, and so I would even, I remember challenging my youth group, even though we weren't seeing those things, we would read things like 1 Corinthians 12 together on the front lawn of the church and be like, where is this stuff? Like, why aren't we seeing the blind eyes open, the deaf to speak, or the deaf to hear, the mute to speak, all these different stuff. And, um, and so when I finally went to Global Awakening and, and um, I went because I believed with all my heart that God did not, and, and I know that there's books out there like Every Man's Battle. I, I just believed in my heart that I, God had more for my marriage than me looking at pornography and confessing it to my wife over and over and over again. And I went because there was the word deliverance in the title of of, of the actual conference, the School of Healing Impartation, Deliverance, Disbelief, and something else it was called. And I remember sitting there and I'm watching the demonstration from the pulpit and through the teaching and equipping everybody in attendance, I'm watching what I always knew was possible. And it just kept stirring this faith in me 
And, and, mm -hmm. and so um, when it came time for Randy Clark, you know, to do his famous, you know, message, how thirsty are you? Well, I was a thirsty guy. And, and I was desperate for more of the Lord. And, and battling that addiction for 20 years after my salvation, I was, I was in a place where I, and I think, guys, like, that's the thing. Like, one of the ways you, one, one of the distinct signs that you're saved, you're born again, and you're maturing is your relationship with sin and righteousness changes. Like, Jesus was anointed with the oil of gladness because he hated sin and he loved yep. righteousness. So, like, the more I journey into him, the more I hate what used to own me and the more I love what I used to fight against. And so I was just in that place where, Lord, I just want to be free of this. And, and so when he poured out his spirit upon me, it completely broke the fetters of that thing. That, and I remember coming up off the floor, completely different, loving God. I felt like I could love God the way I wanted to for the first time. Mm -hmm. That's the baptism in the spirit, mm -hmm. is, is the love of God is shed abroad in your heart. And you can, I just remember, I just never wanted to be away from him. I always wanted to be alone you know, with him and, and stuff. So it changed the way I did youth ministry, because now I could point them to, I'll never forget, I'm freshly baptized in the spirit, and I did this worship service for the youth on Wednesday nights, and we're singing the song, Fire Fall Down by Jesus Culture, I'm like, we have no idea what we're asking for, we're going through the motions, we're singing this stuff, and, and I remember from that day on, I was like, I want them to have what I have, and, uh, and so every time we got together, it was just about, I'm laying my hands on you, I'm laying my hands on you, and God would just pour out, and they had adults that didn't know what to do with it but the kids were getting rocked left and right. So I felt like I could finally give them the gospel. Yeah. yeah. But that kind of went south. It did, yeah. Details or I find, I find I find the good, bad, and the ugly extremely helpful. Yeah, so I, yeah, I mean, the bottom line is you had people, we were in an interesting place as a church. The senior pastor that was there for 17 years had moved on because he felt like he took the church as far as he could. The associate followed after him, not following him to where he was going, which was to Waynesboro, PA, but he felt like it was his time to retire. He was in his 70s. I was the last remaining person on pastoral staff, and these kids were having these dramatic experiences, but because the pastor that they loved and admired, see, that's the thing. Like A lot of times our faith rests on our pastor and not on God. Like I was saying yesterday with Paul, preaching Christ so your faith wouldn't rest on man, would rest on the Lord. So they had no grid for this. And even though they had known me for four and a half years, trusted me with their children, that suddenly the one that they trusted was the one who was in error and was wrong and was a wolf in sheep's clothing. And that, that conference led me astray. And what are we going to do about him? And how are we going to get rid of him? Those were meetings behind closed doors. And I remember the interim pastor at the time God bless him, he was doing the best that he could, sat me down in his office. He wasn't angry or frustrated, but he just wanted me to know what was going on. He said, if I were you, I would give my two weeks notice now because they're, they're pretty much going to be coming for you and it's going to be like a lynching is almost how he made it sound. And I remember, I remember in January, I got baptized in the Spirit in December, January, I'm laying there prostrate on my floor in the basement and the Lord says to me, I can't use you the way I want to if you keep staying here. And I fought him on I said, I'm not going anywhere because God's going to bring revival to Mifflinburg High School because my kids were getting excited. My kids were getting filled with the Spirit. My kids were having encounters, seeing angels and laying hands on people and seeing them recover and getting healed and all that different stuff. And, uh, and the Lord just completely closed. I wasn't going to move, so he moved me. And I remember, I remember handing my two weeks notice. I have no job. My wife is teaching full-time at, at New Berlin Elementary School, and little did I know, God had already been prepping her heart, saying that you're not going to be here much longer. And, and I remember handing in my two weeks notice. I get in the car, 
and I, I'm going to drive to New Berlin and tell my wife what just happened, drop this bomb on her. And I am blaring Kim Walker Smith's Revelation song, the holy, holy, and I am pumped out of my mind. I am so excited. I don't have a job. I lost my salary. It's gone. There's nothing lined up. I am more excited in that place knowing God is with me and I'm obeying him than I was staying there because I knew God had more for me than that Lutheran church. And boy, he has proven it time and time and time again. When you follow him, I'm telling you, there's something about obedience that releases abundance and releases blessing. And uh, now, I go back and I look at how I handled that situation. I wouldn't have done it any differently. I've, 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 I, have, I have chased after youth. Like, the reason why they're here is, I could cry talking about it. Like, God has put such a burden on my heart to see this generation saved and encounter God and, and walk with him and to know him. And those three kids are the byproduct of that. Is where I finally could lead the youth the way that I wanted to and help them understand you can encounter Jesus, you can hear his voice, these things are for you today. And to watch them run and, you know, headlong after the Lord is just so blessed my heart. And, uh, and I, even though I've been thrown out of places more than one time and asked to never come back, like I wouldn't have done it any differently. Because those kids, even though the parents and different people couldn't understand, they had an encounter with the Lord. And, and so now, um, you know, we invited you last night, you know, to partner with us. We're getting ready to start once a month meetings in your called the Greenhouse, where we are going to chase after seeing a generation get completely saved. That's the mandate that I feel like is I'm going to travel itinerantly, but I'm going to build something in New York City. And I want to have a center there one day where I have regular youth evangelism meetings where the presence of God is so palpable and powerful. Kids are getting healed, delivered, set free. I'm not interested in pastoring them. Let the youth pastors do that. I'm interested in seeing them get totally rocked by the Lord and having a ministry school to teenagers that feel like they're called to ministry. You know, that's, that's what I'm going after. That's when you sow into me, that's what you're putting your money towards. That's what I'm chasing. And I want to see these kids encountered the love that's forever changed me. And I think there's so many teenagers that are out there today, it breaks my heart, they don't like who they are. I know. They don't love themselves, and they, they've internalized that who they are is what's been done to them, and that's called shame. Shame wears the mistakes you make, shame wears what people have done to you, and God wants to break that off of these kids. And, and I'm watching it happen. And, uh, and so we're gonna continue to pursue and chase this generation because I believe that they, I'm telling you guys, there's something about them. God is doing something so rich in teenagers today. And, uh, and we, we are watching an explosion take place. Um, so it makes me really excited. Going way back in your mm -hmm. story. So you had a, an English, almost an English degree. I have an English degree. You have an English degree. You yeah. haven't finished that. I finished, yeah, just minus the education part. I graduated with a bachelor's in English and a minor in psychology. So you have an English degree, mm -hmm. and you have a what, biblical counseling degree? I have an MA in counseling. It's a not, even called, it's not, not even called a biblical counseling okay. degree. And so those, neither of those degrees are typically what a, an itinerant... Qualifies uh, an itinerant minister. Uh, sort of prophetic John the Baptist style, screaming, sweating, weightlifting, Harley Davidson driving, bearded <laughs> revivalist, yeah. prophet, would have... Write that down. That's really good. We'll put that on the website. Go ahead. <laughs> How do you understand God's providence in directing you or um, what is the benefit mm -hmm. to your life to have an English major and a counseling degree? 
I think for what you do. Yeah, no, I love that. I mean, because so much when I was in full-time pastoral ministry, I think the best counselors are prophetic people. And so there was so much that I think that degree taught me about listening, discerning, looking past what's being said to the heart of the matter. Um, the English degree has helped me, I think, multitudes of ways because you're taught how to discern symbolism when you're an English major. And, and so even that can be a prophetic thing because it taught me how to read my Bible and see the symbols that were in there and be able to decode it, obviously with the Holy Spirit and whatnot. And it certainly has helped me with my writing. I have such a passion to write and, and actually I'm resurrecting that again. I've written two books and honestly, like, I, I should be beyond that. And I feel just a stirring in my heart again to better steward that gift. And I mentioned it last night so that I'm writing these almost like instructional booklets, like thinner ones, almost like they'd be like a sermon series on paper. And I'm doing one right now on the baptism in the spirit because I think it needs to get out there. I think people have questions about it and I'll have my story in there, but I really wanna lay the biblical framework and also my story and other testimonies that have happened. Um, and I wanna talk about other things about prayer. And, Cause like there are certain things I feel like every Christian should know how to do, but we don't talk enough about them. One of them is obviously praying. Worship is, is another. Um, but those two degrees I think have helped me to just better relate to people, better relate to the Lord. Um, and have, have helped, yeah, just have helped me uh, be a better friend, counselor, pastor, minister. Take your time with individual people and love them. You talked a lot in the past about, thank you. Yeah. I, I'm loving this Q&A format. I love it too. Okay. But if you have a bursting word and you're like, that's enough questions, Tim, I have to do No, I don't. Okay. This, are you guys, is this helpful to everybody? I'm fine with it. Bible study, yeah. daily Bible reading, mm -hmm. devotional Bible readings, serious study. I'm not right. sure how to term it. But in the past, I remember you on a Sunday morning here mm -hmm. preached that our lives mm -hmm. are the byproduct of our alone, alone time, time. Yeah. with God. Right. Uh, could you talk a little bit more about alone time with God, mm -hmm. but also balance that out mm -hmm. by talking about maybe something of what's the other side of that, which is our together time with God? Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Not really. Well, if all you ever have is alone times with God and you never have church times with no, God. No, that I understand. Yeah, okay, yeah, 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 sure. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a big question. So um, for me, I'll just, I'll just say, it, I'll say it like this. I, my, my great-grandma, well, yeah, she would be my grandmother-in-law. My wife's grandmother, shortly after our second daughter was born, came down to help me with our oldest because Nicole had her second C-section, was in the hospital for a couple of days with, with our daughter, Lily. And I was running back and forth, so Nicole's grandmother had come down and spent time with us. And, and she said to me, I'll never forget it, she said, Brian, I've read your first book, First Dance, which I was honored and flattered, that was sweet that she even did that. And she said, you in there talk about how you can spend hours with God at a time. And she said, I'm 72 years old, and I have no idea what you mean when you say stuff like that. I've been a Christian my whole life. And I have no idea what you mean when you talk about things like intimacy in your book and, and stuff like that. Now, I was the kind of person who, who was very rejected most of my childhood, most even into my teen years. And so my big thing was I always wanted to be wanted. I always wanted to be understood. And I remember even, even when I was in full-time ministry, and you know, here I am with the master's degree in counseling, and the Lord then took me into counseling. I mean, talk about utter humiliation. 
Um, but what I, what I found was God had dealt with a lot of the fruit that was on my tree, but I had some really bad roots that were actually leading to the fruit that was there. And, and being in full-time ministry actually exacerbated some of those things and caused the anxiety, the insecurity, and all this, the anger, the frustration, all these different things. But it all centered around my view of myself. See, so the way you see yourself is always going to determine your ability to receive God's love. And, and you'll, never, you'll never love yourself until you learn how to receive his love. Hence, 1 John 4, which says, we love because he first loved us. And I tell people often that I let him save me, but I didn't let him love me for a really long time. And that's tragic. And I think that's, we all know that that's the standard. That's the greatest evidence that ever will be. Like that is the whole crux of the whole thing is that cross. And we'll, we'll nod at it, we'll see, you know, and, and we'll say we believe it, and there's just a difference between believing and, and receiving. And, and so for a lot of people, they have a tape that's on repeat in their mind that God wants to rewind and put his voice over. And I had to deal with the lies that I was believing about myself. And I didn't realize what they were. They were it was like something would happen and I would unconsciously react to it. And it was all filtered through what I believe. So it was very easy to perceive your disagreement as rejection, criticism, judgment, you don't like me. And so, but I was living for what I didn't even have for myself. I needed you to like what I didn't like. And, um, and so what happened one day was on my journey of, of healing, in my counseling time with my, my therapist, my counselor, David Deku, who was a, he was a Baptist minister that the Lord said, I want you to get out of the pulpit and get in the trenches with people. And he's one of the few people that I've met that it literally felt like I was sitting in the room with the Lord himself. And, and I'll never forget the very first is why I said, I think, I think he, now I don't even know if he was necessarily quote unquote spirit filled, but I remember sitting there the very first session. I didn't even know where to start. I'm just vomiting on this guy talking about my childhood. I just know that I needed to be there. I'm three years in full-time ministry and I want to quit and I want to run. And I just knew something was wrong and I was crying and my wife's like, what's wrong? I don't know. I think I need to go talk to somebody. And I remember sitting there the very first session and I'm about halfway in and he interrupts me and he says, hang on a second. And I said, okay. He says, your pain is miles deep. Stuff, gosh, man, even though it's all these years later, it just still has such an effect on me when I talk about it. Your pain is miles deep. You have a lot of unresolved anger towards your family that's caused depression in you and you have a major fear of rejection. And when he said that, I just, I just sobbed uncontrollably. And even though, and I, I, even though like you, I may not even, I don't even know if he was a spirit-filled man, I'm telling you the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom and prophecy were operating through this guy. And, and just through the insight and the revelation of like, that's my issue, when I left, because at least now I know what I'm up against, I walked out and colors looked different. And I wasn't even born again. I mean, I wasn't like, it was like just the revelation of God using this man and saying, this is what we're up against and we're gonna change all that. And I wanna reintroduce you to the love that first touched you at 19 years old and give you the opportunity to love yourself. This is what drives my alone time with God. So coming back to this conversation with my grandma, my wife's grandmother, what is the secret? Like, how is it that you can do this? And I, I didn't have an answer. I think I just threw out something. I don't even remember what I said, but it was probably really cliche. Well, it's just something you develop over time. It's like a muscle. You just got to keep working. Who knows what I said? 
But I remember going up to my room, and this is a season in time where my, my favorite worship leaders, Jonathan, David, and Melissa Helser, came out the song Abba. Yeah. And I'm sitting there, and I'm playing this. It's like 11 o'clock at night, and I'm just in my bed, and I'm just listening to this song, and it's just, it's just rocking me. And the Lord comes, he says, do you know what the strength of your prayer life is? And I'm like, no. And I just had this conversation with my grandmother-in-law downstairs. He said, the strength of your prayer life is you settled a long time ago that I desire you. That's why you want to be alone with me as much as you do. Because I spent a year meditating on, I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. Song of Solomon chapter 7 verse 10. And that got so into my heart that what I was looking for my whole life, he gave. And you want to be around people that want to be around you. And so that then became, I would get alone with the Lord. And I learned very early on that the goal of prayer is not God meeting my needs because then I'm only doing as well as him meeting my needs. It's not about my right. list. Like right. there's a place where you get, and I love this, where Jesus says in Matthew chapter six, because he says, when you come to him, when you pray, right? Not if you pray, when you pray, he talks about these things and they are solitude, silence, and seclusion. And as much as you sit there and say, well, you know, I just pray to him throughout my day. I do too, but there is never a substitute for those three. I talk to him in the shower too, and believe me, he comes and talks to me in the shower. But there is something about you getting alone and closing the door and getting quiet before the Lord and knowing that he knows what you need before you ask him. You see that? Like, he loves you so much that what could get in the way of you relationally, he's saying, I'll take care of that. Just be with me. And so much of my alone time with God is I'm quiet and I'm just thinking about him I'm quiet and I know he's there. Yeah. Like I'm just aware of his presence and that's enough for me. Yeah. And like I said last night in 2 Corinthians 3, it, it talks about this idea. Like the greatness of this new covenant, guys, is there is no longer a barrier. We're ministers of this new covenant where, where, where sin is out of the way. Any hindrance of fellowship has been completely removed. He became what I was. Like he became the pornography. He became all these different things so that I could behold him, just be with him and be changed. Beholding as in a mirror face to face with the Lord. So it's not about where we get in trouble guys and the reason why we're so tired and exhausted is because we're not coming to him come to me all who are weary and tired right yeah. and we wind up trying to do in our own strength what only grace can do so we want and like and I, I talk about this often I think one of the greatest miracles of the the new birth is you get a brand new heart I, that yeah. rocks me like I actually care now you know, and what happens is the enemy will use that against you and be like, what's wrong with you? Like, how come you're still doing this? And then he gets you right back into, I got to fix that. I you're, there is nothing, you are never going to come in your own strength what only grace can do. If you didn't save yourself, yep. right? You're not going to make yourself look like him. So when the Bible talks about take my yoke upon you and learn from me, the Lord showed this to me because sometimes guys like, when you, would, when you would plow back in that day, when you would yoke animals together, you would yoke animals of equal strength. Would you agree? Like, if you had one oxen stronger than the other, it's just going to pull all over the place. You're not going to plow a straight line. And the Lord showed me, take my yoke upon. I'm equally yoked to the Lord when I'm weak and he's strong. When I finally say I can't, but he can, that's when we're plowing a straight line. But if I'm, if, I'm, if I'm still trying to do it in my strength, I'm pulling him around. Yeah. And I don't want to pull him around. Yeah? Is that okay? Yeah. Okay. Um, 
So I, I, I've gotten to this place now where delight yourself in the Lord. Don't you like, like it'll, it'll say that, but it doesn't tell you how to do that. Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. And the reason why it's so easy for me to delight in him and just want to be with him and shed my affection on him is because I know now and I can still grow in the knowledge of it. And please don't hear me and think I'm perfect in this area. Because sometimes the enemy still wants to heap condemnation on me, still wants to throw guilt on me. And I've, got a, I've gotten, it's, I can come out of that a whole lot faster than before I used to be led by it because my heart had become so pure and so clean that the enemy would just question my heart and get me to feel like I violated it in some way, shape, or form. But the reality is you shouldn't be sitting there and freaked out like that you did something wrong. You should be shouting from the rooftops, I actually care. My heart doesn't want to violate God. My heart is for him. It's not against him. Like there's a place where that you just get alone and like, yes, Lord, I did that. But thank God that's so not me anymore. And see, the fact that you wish you could go back and do it different means like you actually changed, repented. And like, so we're being fathered by him. And just the fact that like, yeah, well, bless you, sweetheart. Like, yeah, I mean, like, it's not about bowing to this pressure. Like, God will be the one that changes you. We were just talking about it last night, Carl, the vine, the branches. Like, the Holy Spirit is the one that does these things as we connect, stay connected. Like, I remember when I was in seminary, Dave Siemens. Did you have him as a teacher, Dr. Siemens? I grew up with my mom reading all of his books. Yeah, so he, he wrote a book called, or his father wrote a book called Healing for Damaged Emotions. But like of all the three years when I was in seminary, the only oh, yeah, was, thing that stuck with me. Books. It was his dad's books. Yeah, those were his dad's books. Yeah. yeah, so David was, yeah. So there was, oh, I'm sorry, the Steve Siemens was my teacher. David Siemens was his dad. And I remember Steve Siemens during our basic Christian doctrine class saying, I want you to open John 15. He said, I want to show you the only thing that the Lord requires of you. And I was like, whoa, that's heavy. I'm interested, I'm game. So we turned five minute class devotion. This is what has stuck with me after three years of seminary. And he said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Lest you abide in me and my love you can't bear. And I'm just like, that's real simple. And we make it so complicated. And he said, this is the only thing. Do you see that? He's like, you can't do anything apart from him. And so for me, prayer is, is, is my lifeblood. Like, I know I'm no good without it. Prayer is where I humble myself before the Lord and, and recognize my great need for him. Prayer is where I realize that without daily bread, I'm not going to make it. And I don't know about you guys, but when I don't eat, I make terrible decisions when I'm really hungry. I just do. Like, I, everything, I'll just eat an entire pizza. Maybe that's not real, but, like, I'll, I'll, I'll eat stuff. Like, I just make bad decisions. Like, but when you, when, when you don't feed, which, by the way, man will not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, that means you're more than a physical body. And whatever you don't find, whenever you don't find satisfaction in the Lord, you'll go somewhere else. And I'm going to tell you right now, all of sin is false nourishment. It is a lie that this is what will satisfy you. And now you open the door for the enemy to heap all kinds of stuff on you. And like I was saying last night in my prayer, there's something significant about the Israelites having to gather manna in the morning. And how Jesus is greater than what fed them in the wilderness. And I'm the bread that came down, he says in John chapter 6. I'm the bread of life. There's so many. I'm the fountain of living water. I'm all these things, Jesus said descriptively, that, that would, that's, you come to me and drink, I'll put within you a well that springs up. And there's something, guys, I believe, about the early morning 
and you getting alone with the Lord before the day even happens, you might say, well, that's just not my schedule. Like, if that's not your schedule and you can't have that time, please find the time and understand there's daily bread for you that God's not going to refrigerate into tomorrow. So what you don't eat today is no good tomorrow. It gets worms, it dies, like it gets rotted, like, and you're supposed to, now watch, the Israelites would gather, they would gather enough for themselves to eat, I'm not gathering enough for me and Tim. I can encourage Tim, I can equip Tim, I can cheer Tim on, but I can't feed Tim. And Tim's not here to feed you. Tim is here to take you by the hand and introduce you to the lover of his soul. So that you get fed and that you from that place of intimacy and that place of being attached to the vine, then you bear much fruit. Amen. Now, the other, the other question, so for me, I'm going and getting alone because I know he's there and he wants me to be there. I keep it really simple. I know he wants to talk to me. I know he loves me. I know all those things. And if, if anything is telling you otherwise, we got to get so good at just dealing with those thoughts as they come. Because if you're not careful and you meditate on them, they're going to become a structure, a fortress. And the enemy is trying to get into your mind to get to your heart. The battle's here, but the war's for your heart. And if he can convince you that you're no good and what's wrong with you and why'd you say and how come you and why didn't you pray yesterday and all that different stuff, that is not Jesus. That is not the bread of life. That is not feeding you. That is actually taking, see, and that's the thing. The enemy wants you to feel so disqualified that you no longer now have confidence to come before the Lord. Now you expect to be punished more than you do to be loved. So please never forget, we always quote, well, you know, brother, the love, you know, a perfect love casts out fear. That's not the end of the verse. Perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. That's what God's trying to eliminate from his people. The number one reason why they're not being intimate with him is because they think he's ticked at them. That was the first effect of sin in the garden. We heard the sound of you, we became afraid and we hid. And God was not coming to get them. God did not come and say, what did you do? He said, Adam, where are you? Because God's heart, even in the beginning, even in transgression is, I want to restore you to myself. So any lie that's telling you that he's angry, you have a right to be judged, all that, that is not the Lord. That is condemnation. And there is now no longer any condemnation for those in Christ. So there's there's a place, guys, where we need to learn to fight and, and build ourselves up in faith and to understand, guys, if Jesus came to me when I was 19, watch this, watch this deception. If Jesus came to me when I was 19, addicted to crack, and I didn't care, and looking at porn and not feeling regret and sleeping with whoever and not caring and using people and dishonoring my mom and selling drugs out of the house. And he came to me. Are you telling me if I mess up and feel guilty about it, he's not going to come to me? Do you see how that, see how we get sometimes? Yes. We think as Christians, what's wrong with you? You know better than that. And the enemy used to do that to me. He'd wake me up before I had this revelation. I'd wake up in the morning and I would review my yesterday to feel, to see why I should be disqualified today. That is a lie from, from, from the pit of darkness, guys. If Jesus came to me while I was yet a sinner and now you're telling me I have a new heart that cares and I'm not sitting here telling you that I walk in perfection, I don't. But to walk in the light is not to walk perfectly. It's to be open, honest, vulnerable, like I'm chasing after him, all that different stuff. Like, but I'm not hiding. I'm not practicing sin and pretending I'm doing something else. 
So it's, it's, if, if God is coming to me when I didn't care, and now the miracle of the new birth is I actually have a new heart. It's no longer stone. It actually cares. It feels. It grieves when I grieve him. But the enemy will come and say, oh, now you did it. Now God's really disappointed and angry. And now, and what's his goal? His goal is to sever relationship with God. He wants to cut it off. He wants you to just cut, run, all that different stuff. He is after your relationship with Jesus. He is most terrified of anyone that is enjoying intimacy and growing and becoming like the Lord. And he's after you, like Tim asked the question too, around, you know, what about this? What about the gathering? The Bible says, well, don't forsake the gathering. There, there's, there is light and wine in the gathering of the saints. And encourage each other. And to encourage one another. Daily. Daily. Yeah, that's so, a great word. So church is not an hour on Sunday. No, It's no. a family that goes right. through life together. And you can tell the number one, it's the same. People, people all of a sudden just aren't waking up one day saying, well, I just can't wait to sin and get away with it. There's this slow fade that takes place. They're no longer connected to Jesus. They're no longer praying is probably the first sign. The second sign is when people start disappearing from your midst, that is the clearest sign they're not doing well. Because people run from, what is the judgment according to John 3? The light came into the world, and what does the light do? It just reveals where you are. Jesus isn't coming to get you. He's wanting to forgive you, restore you, accept you, love you, bring you back to him. But all the light is revealing is where your heart is and what really actually holds it and what has it. But there are those that did the deeds in righteousness and good deeds. They ran towards the light. And then there are those that in darkness are running from the light. So it's so important that we're together because, like Tim was saying, guys, like some of the clearest ways I've heard the Lord have been from brothers and sisters. I just, I just went through a personal season where I became so aware of pride in my life because this whole last year for me has, I've been begging the Lord to form his humility in me. I am so, I believe we're coming into a season, if we're not there already, where we're more concerned with what God's doing in us than what he's doing through us. And I want the attitude that shaped what Jesus did. Does that make sense to you guys? So like Philippians 2, have this attitude in yourselves that was also in him. So I'm coming out of this season now where I, how I was handling the itinerant ministry, I didn't realize I was doing this, but when I stepped out into the full-time itinerant ministry, I never once asked the Lord how he wanted me to do it. I was doing it the way I saw people I admire do it. And I thought that's how God wanted me to do it. And I would say things like, well, I'm never going to ask for money. I'll never kick a door in. And I'll tell you, be careful what you tell the Lord that you'll never do. Because sometimes that's the actual path. The thing you think is pride is there to actually humble you. And so I... You won't ever catch me speaking in tongues. (laughs) That happened to you, didn't it? You put a target on your back. Yeah, you put a target on your back. Well, I didn't need you to speak in tongues until you said that, but now I gotta. But here's, again, here's the beauty of community. Here's the beauty of authenticity and vulnerability and openness and honesty with brothers and sisters is I had multitude of people come up to me one after the other, including my best friend saying, I feel like the Lord is wanting you to blah, 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 blah. Let people know you're available. I even called Tim on the, and Tim said, I'm so glad you called. I've been waiting for you to call. 
And, and so I sat there, but I was in, my, in, my, in my head, I'm listening to everybody tell me, hey, you need to give people the opportunity to partner. It's wrong that you're not giving people an opportunity to partner. They love you. They're blessed by you. You need to be able to bless your family, and you can't bless your family. If you, you, can't, you can't be generous yourself if you're not getting you know, all this stuff. But I'm like, but that's not, that's not Jesus. Jesus isn't doing that. Jesus is just going to take care of me. And I had this warped view of faith that was shaped by examples that I saw through others, but that's how God told them to do it. So I would hear these people like, hey, you need to let people know it's okay to sow into you. You need to let people know that you're willing to come and minister to them because your heart isn't to build your empire. Your heart is you want to be a blessing. But I, I couldn't see it. Like for me, that was, it wasn't, there wasn't any different. So I'm sitting there and listening to them and my head is nodding with them, but inwardly I'm like, no way. And God kept sending person after person after person to me. And I teach this in my school, that pay attention to like these things. And sometimes like be, be careful because sometimes the package in which it comes, you know, it can offend you, but God is just wanting to get to your heart and all this different stuff. So long story short, what I was thought was doing, what I was doing in humility, because I was concerned that if I did it differently, I was concerned about what your opinion would be of me. That if I put it out there and you saw on social media, hey, I'm available to come and minister if you're interested, that that's self-promotion. And, and the Lord showed me you're operating in false humility and the very thing you're trying to avoid, you're actually in. You're in pride because you care about how you're being perceived. And that broke me. And I remember, I remember, I said to myself, but if I could just talk to this one guy, he'll agree with me. You know what I'm talking about, Carl, because I was telling you about this last night. But it was. And he disagreed with me. <laughs> it was my, my friend Dan Moeller. And I was like, Oops. he'll agree with me. After he, and he knows. I can say, he'll agree with me. He'll say that's faith. And he goes, Brian, he goes, how is, you, how is it that if you give people the opportunity to partner with you, treat you like a missionary because you have a family to feed and care for, how is that any less faith than you saying, well, I'm not going to ask anyone and God's just going to provide when you have no idea if those people are going to partner with you anyway. And it just, it just broke me. And I was just like, I just, but it's amazing. Like, but that never would have happened if I was a renegade running around on my own, That's right. not connected to a family, not connected. And you know what some of my greatest supporters are? Praise Community Church, because they know me, my own people, my tribe, my family, like, they are there. They're the ones. And, and you know what? So many people have said, we've been waiting to hear yeah. an opportunity. And you know, and here's something else I realized. And this, this makes me want to cry. I, I was so waiting for God to just blow the doors wide open that my very fear of doing it wrong caused me to almost bury in the ground what he was asking me to steward. Did you catch that? And I was, and I, I would have told you that I'm the guy like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be in charge of 10 cities. Well, you know what I mean? Like that whole thing of like, you know, those that faithfully handled the minas or whatever, like more was given to them. I was in extreme danger because of my fear of how you saw me and doing it wrong and not doing it the way God wanted me to. I was all but burying into the ground what he called me to do. And when I realized that, I was like, oh my gosh, Lord, I'm so sorry. Because Adam said to me one day, do you believe you're called into the itinerant ministry? I said, yeah. He goes, how would I know that? What are you doing? I said, what do you mean? Well, how come you're not letting people know? What are you doing? You know, like how, how are you writing newsletters? Are you calling people you're connected to? Like, and that was, and can I be honest with you? I hate doing it. 
I'm, God's still dealing with me on it. He's still dealing with me talking about money. I'd rather not do it. But at the same time, it's, but it's, it's breaking the pride off my life of being concerned about your opinion of me. And, um, and, it's, and I'll keep doing it. I'm going to keep getting better at it and keep taking risks and chances. But it never would have happened if I wasn't connected to a body. And there's a lot of itinerant ministers that aren't doing well because they're out on their own. And those coverings and people and relationships, and we have to get better at telling on ourselves. Like we have to get good at being open and daily encouraging one another. Like, like to, how can I encourage you if I don't know what's going on? That's right. Well, you can just pray the Lord will tell you. Well, yeah, that's possible and he does. But there's a place too where it's like you're not getting the prayer that you might need, the encouragement, the wisdom like that's in the cluster. Like the gifts of the spirit, by the way, are for the church, for the edification, building up and strengthening of the body. Now we operate in them out in the world, but like that was primarily first and foremost that when we gather and do things in order, that that is for, and yes, unbelievers can come in and we read their mail and they can fall down like it says in 1 Corinthians 14 and declare that God's in our midst. But like that is primarily so that we encourage and strengthen and bless one another. But I'm telling you, if you notice that a brother and sister, I'm not talking about a brother and sister and leaves and attends another church, but sometimes there's an issue going on there. But I'm talking about brothers and sisters that aren't even a part of a fellowship anymore. And they're telling you, me and Jesus are okay. They're not okay. That's deception. Because God, it's, what is, what is the primary thing? Like I love, Will Hart, it was so good. Will Hart, I heard him do a sermon recently about the way that Jesus ended the Old Testament, how he starts the new one. And he ends the Old Testament by saying that the spirit of Elijah, and I have a whole teaching on that, it's gonna come, turn the hearts of fathers back to children and children to fathers. And Jesus starts the New Testament with the genealogy showing that it's all about family. And I hate genealogies. I'm like, get that out of here. I skip those all the time. But the point is there's something about it. God puts the lonely in families. Like God is a husband to the one who doesn't have one. You know, what's that? I, I was just looking at Gabe saying, now he's going to have to write a book about a genealogy. <laughs> yeah, because I said I hate genealogies. But anyway, like don't forsake the gathering because you are to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And that's not going to happen if you're not daily, and I, I, Tim, what Tim said yesterday really touched me. He's like, I don't know if it is church without food. And I was like, I know what he's talking about. And when you look at the way that those guys did it back then, and I'm just like, there's something about people having all things in common and being of one accord, selling all that they have to whoever who has need. Like there's something about that model that I don't know if we're even going to see some of the things that they saw till we get on board with what they were on board with. Anyway, that was really long-winded. Uh, your teaching time is up. Yeah. Which was awesome. Wow. I did have a message, but this is fun. And I, but I felt like, this was pertinent. And I, I have like it. six more questions, but yeah. it's not time for that. I, yeah. I, I want you guys to be able to share anything you're, you have for the body again today and pray for people and lay hands on people. Sure. I believe strongly in impartation. Yeah, I do too. Meaning, yeah. you pray yes. for God to be yeah. more active than Absolutely. before we prayed Amen. in someone's life. So I want to give opportunity for that kind of response Amen. as well. Love it. I also feel, just like personally responding to something you just said, uh, we've been going through transition mm -hmm. and I have not done a very good job communicating what I'm thinking mm -hmm. to this body. Wow. And that's been feedback I've received over and over. Yeah. And, and also I've communicated that I've had some leadership weaknesses. Mm -hmm. And as you were talking, I was nodding my head thinking, 
yes, most of my leadership weaknesses revolve around hiding things that, that I don't want to really I talk know. about. I understand. That have to do with my insecurities. Because right, I don't want to be corrected. Well, I don't want to be seen as weak as I really am. Right. Uh, for fear that you'll agree more with uh, my confession of failure yeah. than with God's affirmation of putting me in leadership despite of that. Wow. And, and so that's as you're... Insight. It's just true. Yeah. Uh, but that's one of the things this body has communicated to me multiple times mm -hmm. throughout many seasons, which is, dude... You have all this stuff that you see, but you don't communicate it to us, Wow! right? I just talk, I wow. preach instead of saying, let's put the preaching aside and let's talk about what's really happening in our life together. That's good. And I need to take more time to do that. Yeah. Uh, That's good. That was, You're saying we're family. We are family, yeah. but my insecurities mm -hmm. often cause me to be, stay in that sort of professional zone. I understand. Ministering in the things I'm good at. Right. Instead of being transparent about the things I'm not really that good at. Right. That's awesome, man. I feel uncomfortable now that I've even said that and would like that. to run but down to the basement and hide. Uh, See? And I love you, and I know that about you, and I've, I, yeah. You don't have to clap. I didn't say that so you would clap. <laughs> you can clap. It's, it's okay. It's okay if we all cry together after this is over. Um, <clears throat> instead of clap. I want to invite you guys. Where did Rachel go? Where's Rachel? She oh, was... she's out there with your wife. Oh, sweet. Come here. Rachel, can you come on up here as well? Or can you not hear me at all? Okay. <laughs> like maybe they're having a private conversation. They maybe they said, June, can you turn the foyer off so we can have a girls talk? Okay. At least it's not too hot in here. I know, I'm dying up here. I'm sweating again. I'm like, oh no. You can stand. I'm going to give a benediction here in just a moment. And whoever would like to come up and receive prayer can do that. But yeah. I'm going to final check with, these, with this crew first Amen. to see if they've got something. I said, I said stand preemptively. I'm sorry. You can sit for a few more seconds. Because <laughs> if Garth were here, he'd be like, does he mean it? And then I'd be like, and then I'd see him sit and I'd go, oops. Anything else from, does he mean it? Um, so just now um, over here when Tim looked at us. I just asked God, and so I don't know if this means anything to any of you specifically, but I saw like a, a window, and it was one of the windows where it's uh, got a, like a wooden slat down and then across, and then across, but um, it was different because the, the middle slat was slightly above in um, the shape of a cross, and um, I believe that um, He's simply saying that when, when you just, when you, when you uh, even to what we were singing earlier with um, you know, build my life, to just, just uh, build it upon him and his love and the cross, um, that when you do that, um, he becomes um, the center of everything. And that can be the window of your house and that can be um, protection of your house, yes, but I'm talking even uh, you and yourself. And... Um, what I saw was the enemy can come up to the window and it can peer in and it can try to intimidate you and um, do whatever it can to try and scare you, to try and even keep you in the house and hiding. But the thing is, 
when, when you're um, just keeping it, your focus on the Lord, um, it, it can't touch you and it can't do anything to you because that, that foundation is, is so strong. So um, if, if that um, resonates with anyone specifically, I'd love for you to come up to me and ask for prayer. But um, yeah, that's all I saw. Well, I do not have anything, <laughs> but um, I just want to say just how awesome it is to constantly just see everyone smiling and all happy. I just love here. I think it's just like a home to me. So um, yeah, thank you for having us back again. Well, we like having you guys here. I like that you called uh, Satan an it. Did anyone? Yeah, you picked up on that? D don't even give it the dignity of a he. That's, 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 fun. that's just fun. That's good, clean fun. You guys want to stand, and Brian's going to give a, a benediction. Yeah, Father, we thank you right now in Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much that your favor, God, may it rest upon us, Lord. May we shine, God, with the, just the countenance, the very light of your face. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing here at Gateway Fellowship. Thank you for brothers and sisters. Thank you for a family. Thank you, Jesus. Even, even I'm amazed, I'm in awe, Father, that, that you gave Jen that song this morning, further reaffirming what you're doing here in the midst of my friends bringing us back to what matters most. And Father, I ask that you would allow our roots to go down deeper into the love of Jesus, that you would cause us to experience it again and again and again, that we would grow in fellowship and in friendship with the lover of our soul, and that we would become addicted to your presence, addicted to your personhood, addicted to the Lord himself. Holy Spirit, we give you permission again, like we were saying last night, Come and reintroduce your favorite person to us all over again. Give us ears to hear the gospel afresh and anew. Help us to see Jesus as if we're seeing him for the first time. Father, we love you. We bless you. We honor you. Father, we ask and pray that, that you'd go with us. We'd leave encouraged and spurred on and challenged. And Father, I even pray that the things that were shared this morning about intimacy and prayer... And Father, that we would be provoked and challenged around how important that time is where we decide to be alone, solitude, seclusion, and, and to seek after you, Father, um, in silence, to wait on the Lord and receive the strength that can only come from you. Jesus, I pray that your words would fall on good hearts and bring forth a harvest, that seed sown would produce crops in here, in Jesus' name. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace that empowers us and allows us to do what we do. Father, I pray that you would just continue to form your attitude and the humility of your son deep inside of us, that we would follow his example, genuinely love and serve one another and surrender all that we are to you because in that place, Father, is the genuine life that Jesus came to give. And it's in your name, Lord Jesus, that we pray. We love you. We bless you. We honor you. Amen.